0: Live Bar. on the Freak Radio Network, broadcasting from the Lucas Oil Studios, driven by General Tire. It's Speed Freaks, Speed freaks. Speed freaks. Motorsports Radio redefined. Ricketti Sergeant, Paging Doctor Deucebag, Crash Gladys, getting crash position, and Statman. Don't overdrive the car. Here's the free Calling off freaks. Oh, man, no, freak. <laughs>
1: Dale Jr. is inducted. NASCAR Cup drivers will be able to do more of this. Your Statman Scat, your Crash Gladys pit news and notes. And we lose one of the greatest musical influences in this. And we lose one of the greatest musical influences of all time in Meatloaf. A lot of you might be saying, what the hell are you talking about, Sergeant. I could plead my case for about 30 minutes, and you might understand it the first 10 minutes in. But when you've got Celine Dion, Evanescence, Imagine Dragons, Adele, I could attribute all of their success and some of their presentation to Meatloaf. You would fully understand why the loss of Meatloaf—well, frankly, uh, Meatloaf and his music— What he meant, him and Jim Steinman, Todd Rundgren, who produced that fantastic Bad Out of Hell album, what those three dudes meant to music after that, uh, it's undeniable. And I had a chance to spend half a day with Meatloaf in 1994 when Bad Out of Hell 2, Back Into Hell, came out. I spent half a day with him in Japan, of all places, Statman, a Tokyo Harley
2: Davidson shop. If that's not freak, I don't know what is. <laughs> yeah. You know, you with meatloaf in a Tokyo Harley Davidson shop. You know, I mean, that's just, huh? That's uh, that's pretty wild.
1: You want to know what's even wilder, Stepman? He and I went to the same damn Dairy Queen in Carrollton Farmer's Branch, Texas. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Wait, you both frequented that Dairy Queen.
1: Well, we went to the same... Listen, he's fifth. he was 15 years older than me, oh. but the Dairy Queen that he would go to when he lived in Farmer's Branches was right next door to where I lived, in Carrollton, both suburbs of, of Dallas, we just went to the same damn Dairy Queen. He just spent more time there than I did, which was evident by the damn name Meatloaf. And I'm not making fun of the guy. He'll tell you. He'll tell you that Texas food.
3: <laughs> oh, yeah, because Dairy Queen is so Texas.
1: Well, you tell me... You tell me what's more Texas than damn Dairy Queen.
3: Barbecue.
1: Okay. Well, they had fake barbecue at Dairy Queen. <laughs>
3: <laughs> no, that was McDonald's with the McRib oh, and that barbecue sauce. Boy. <laughs>
1: so we're going to spend uh, some good time with Meatloaf in the second hour. Make sure you stick around with that. It's a great interview. We talk about so many things. We talk about his initial – and Grasher, you've heard some of this. We talk about his initial – audition. It really wasn't even an audition. He got the part in Rocky Horror Picture Show really without even an audition. And before he knew it, he was dressed up in what, uh, fishnet stockings and Ooh. makeup and holy smokes. He'll talk about the actual introduction with uh, Tim Curry and really how this whole thing fell in place with Rocky Horror Picture Show. And then of course with Bad Out of Hell, Bat Out of Hell 2, Back Into Hell. Uh, it's going to be a great second hour with, with Meatloaf.
3: Now, I know, obviously, we're a motorsports show, we're a sports show, we'll get to that in just a little bit, but I heard something on NPR this week, and I'm, I'm going to arguably butcher it, but his start actually came on the stage. Wasn't he in a Broadway, I don't know if it was Hair, or it was another Broadway musical, or maybe it was an off-Broadway form of it, but that's where he got his start, and then through the connections that he made through that is how he became a rock star?
1: You'll find and, and I'm not sure if it's in this interview that I have with him, but he'll tell you it, it has to be. It really has to be. He'll tell you that yes, he is an actor first, an actor with a hell of a voice. Huh. Yeah, that's that's where he got his start. And you look at his, the breakthrough that he had with Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yes, mm-hmm. Crasher, you're right. He is either it was off Broadway theatrical production. You look at his concerts and Staten Crash. I don't know if you've gone back and looked at some of his videos, they are very theatrical.
3: Very,
4: yeah.
1: Uh, He's operatic, he's rock and roll, he's blues, he's sultry. But even in this interview, you'll hear about the characters that he portrays on stage, that he portrayed on stage in concerts. Those characters weren't even real. These weren't characters that he devised. He would play characters on stage singing certain songs. I
0: would do anything for love.
1: And I would say, well, that was a, what character was that? He goes, that character doesn't exist. That was me acting, and that character comes out of me every time I go on stage. It's it's hmm. not the same damn character. I, it's I,
3: actually kind of cool. Yeah. I like it. It's a very artistic head. Correct. Very artistic mind.
1: As I mentioned, Freak Nation, Dale Earnhardt Jr. gets inducted, and NASCAR cut drivers are able to do this. We'll get to that. But first, Crash Gladys, Pit News and Notes, coming up from the Lucas All Studios.
0: Speed Freaks. We promise to suck less. Speed Freaks. Motorsports Radio. Redefined.
1: The Freaks. Welcoming in another round of affiliates here in the Freak Nation. Speed Freaks on a Sunday night from the Lucas Oil Studios. Coming up, you got Crash Gladys pit news and notes. Brought to you by our good friends at General Tire. It's still wet out there. It's still icy out there. It's still snowy out there. That's why you need yourself some new General Tires. For more information, go to the website. That's generaltire.com. Generaltire.com, the official tire of the freaks. Crasher?
3: It's addicting to win races. I don't want to be a one hit wonder. I want to go out there and back it up. Ah, those are the elated words of Chase Sexton. Now a Supercross 450 winner after he rode an incredible race in San Diego Saturday night and even battled champ Eli Tomac to solidify his first win in the Big Boy series. Chase's extra midweek practices paid off in dividends, and now the 450 class has been put on notice that there's yet another man amongst the title ranks. Tomac was second, and Dylan Fernandez rounded out the 450 podium. In the 250s, Michael Mossiman notched his first career main win in San Diego as he grabbed the whole shot and never looked back. Hunter Lawrence was second. Christian Craig recovered from a first-lap crash to take home third. Things have heated up in Daytona as the roar before the 24 went off this weekend at the road course. And yes, I also saw the movie Cars playing on the big screen in the middle of the track. First, it was practice. Then the run for the pole for the qualifying race. Then the actual pole run. Bottom line, guys, it was nuts. But we are finally there this week is the 24 Hours of Daytona. Who you got, my friends? Meanwhile, in Monte Carlo, when we went to bed on Saturday, Sebastian Ogier was all but done as the winner of his ninth Monte Carlo rally. But come Sunday, he suffered a flat and Sebastian Loeb was back on the top spot. I mean, it is January, people, yet here we are with mega drama everywhere. And speaking of, well, I guess sort of, Dale Earnhardt Jr. was inducted into the NASCAR Hall of Fame on Friday night. We've been talking about this. It was emotional and exciting to boot. Just the complete appreciation that Dale revealed to his family, his friends, his fan base. It was heartwarming. Congrats to Dale Earnhardt Jr., Red Farmer, and Mike Stefanik for their deserving careers being honored.
1: Crash Gladys, Pit News and Notes brought to you by our good friends at General Tire. That's GeneralTire.com. Check out their website to find the tire for your righteous ride. Remember, it's icy and snowy out there. Make sure you got a fresh set of rubbers from General Tire. More freaks coming up.
0: Speed Freaks, Motorsports Radio, redefined.
3: Hey Freak Nation, whether you're looking for a tire that balances high performance responsiveness and traction in wet and light snow conditions, excellent handling and traction in off road situations or a summer performance tire designed with the driving enthusiast in mind, General Tire has you covered. From the G-Max RS to the Grabber ATX, no matter what you drive, General Tire will get you where you're going. Learn more at GeneralTire.com. General Tire, supporting the Freak Nation for two decades.
1: How about this, Freak Nation? No matter how big your car or truck is, nothing in your engine takes more abuse than its oil. But with Lucas Heavy Duty Oil Stabilizer, your engine oil will last longer to do the job it was designed to do. Protect your engine and offer peak performance. Lucas Oil Heavy Duty Stabilizer it eliminates dry starts, lowers engine temperatures, and prolongs the life of your oil up to 50%. Hey man, don't let your engine be caught dead without the protection and performance of Lucas Heavy Duty Oil Stabilizer. That's right, keep that engine alive with Lucas Oil.
4: Now you can get generic Viagra shipped to your door for about $2 a pill. Get the same impact for less. Call Steel Man Pills now and get the same blue pill for about $2 a pill. Call now for the 50-pill special and save even more. Plus, get a free bonus. 800-993-1327
5: 800-993-1327 That's 800-993-1327
2: time is more valuable today there's less time to keep our vehicles looking their best that's where lucas oil slick mist speed wax steps up it's great for paint chrome glass and vinyl lucas oil slick mist simply mists on and then wipes off leaving a new car shine every time it's quick and easy and works on wet or dry surfaces for a complete detail there's also slick mist interior or slick mist tire and trim shine lucas oil it works
1: a hey, Freak Nation, did you hear? With the addition of MavTV Plus to the MavTV Motorsports Network, they've got their full live event broadcast schedule for 2021. A total of 226 live race broadcasts featuring the Arca Menard Series, the Lucas Oil 8 Model Dirt Series, Pro Pulling League, American Sprint Car Series, Pro Motocross, and the Lucas Oil Chili Bowl Nationals. Mav TV, the only television network dedicated to motorsports. Go to MavTV.com to get your motorsports fix 24-7-365. <laughs>
4: Call U.S. Med now to learn more.
5: 800-756-8720. 800-756-8720. 800-756-8720. That's 800-756-8720.
0: You're listening to Speed Freaks. Motorsports Radio, Redefine. not together when it's a We'll both be sold alone.
1: Crasher, do you care to guess how many albums Meatloaf sold with Bat Out of Hell?
3: You've done this to me before, in which you've had me guess, and I was so far off on the number. Like, I, I, I went over. And so, I no, I was going to say 60 million. That's probably way over.
1: Statman?
2: I think I read it was 35 million-something. Like that? I think I read that somewhere. It's not
1: Bad. You guys uh you split the difference. Bad out of hell, one of the best selling albums of all time, sold over 43 million all copies right. worldwide. Yeah, 14 yeah. times plat 14 times platinum.
0: Wow.
1: <laughs> wow. Uh, as of twenty nineteen, I saw where it spent five hundred and twenty-two weeks on the UK album charts. The second largest or longest chart run of any studio album. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, Bat Out of Hell, uh, the album that put Meatloaf on the map. Uh, Meatloaf passed away at 74. We'll hear from Meatloaf next hour here in the Freak Nation. A gentleman that uh, maybe the equivalent could sell... 43 million NASCAR Cup tickets, $43 million worth of NASCAR Cup paraphernalia. Dale Earnhardt Jr. Crasher was inducted into the NASCAR Hall of Fame over the weekend.
3: And what struck me the most with his induction speech was how he said he was just so thankful to his fan base. And I just, I don't know, for some reason it just hit me. I I just thought that was so awesome. He said, I entered this hall with you, mm-hmm. but I mostly enter this hall because of you. And I just thought that was awesome. Good for you, Dale Earnhardt Jr. He's such a great person. The man who during the recession told Rick Hendrick he gave Rick Hendrick back a million dollars and said, give this to the employees because I want to make sure everybody's going to do okay through this recession. I mean, just this dude has such an amazing heart. I just I really, really thought that was great on Friday night.
1: Stat man, does Dale Earnhardt Jr. belong in the NASCAR Hall of Fame?
3: Oh, without
2: question. He belongs far more than some people who are already there. <laughs> if, uh, if he's not famous, who is? He was what, 12 time uh, driver, fan drive, won the fan award 12 times.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Jeez. He was the most self aware driver I've ever heard talk yep. or among the most. Uh, that's why I said when he retired that. He's going to be more valuable as a, um, a a retired driver than he was as a driver because, as a driver, it was always frustration that he couldn't win. But as a uh, retired driver, he's a spokesperson and he's a he's a larger-than-life person, and he belongs in the Hall of Fame more than I could think of two or three guys who are there already.
3: He's an historian, too. He loves the history of the sport, the history of old tracks. And that is invaluable to not just NASCAR, but motorsports in general. I mean, we see you people. We see you on social media saying he doesn't deserve this. Dale Earnhardt Jr. doesn't deserve to be in the NASCAR Hall of Fame. Well, guess what, guys? It's not the Cup Series Hall of Fame. It's the NASCAR Hall of Fame. He does have two championships in the Xfinity Series. So don't go using that excuse that, oh, he doesn't have a Cup championship. That's not necessary. The, and just the sheer fact that he transcended the sport arguably more than anybody else, including his father, that should be enough as well. And it, it just that piggybacks what Statman was just saying about just how much he was just a great person in the sport. It, I'm tired of that argument. I feel like we saw it all freaking weekend.
2: And saw more tickets, sold more yeah. tickets brought more people into the sport, filled up more seats. Yes. uh, And if that's not famous or if that's not worthy, then what is?
1: Many drivers would talk about this. We've got a couple of minutes. Many drivers would talk about this to where there wasn't a driver on the circuit that held so much power in the stands where when Dale Earnhardt would run for the lead, they could hear the fans.
3: Junior, you're talking
1: about. But, yeah, excuse me. Yeah, Junior. When he, whether he was running second or third, but when we when he would pull into the lead, hmm. all the drivers said they could hear the fans in the stands over that 700 horsepower engine. It's it's, it's just you can't. You, yes, you look at the wins. Dale Earnhardt Jr. Cup wins 26. Joey Logano has 27. Rex White 20. Carl Edwards has 28. Mark Truex Jr. has 31. Ricky Rudd at 23, Brad Kozlowski at 35. I'm not, I just, with Dale Earnhardt Jr., you throw away the wins. Yes. And I, I don't need to elaborate, frankly, what Crash and Stats said. It, there, there's no argument that you look at the top cup wins Richard Petty, David Pearson, Jeff Gordon, Bobby. I-, I would argue that it would be a great argument that Dale Earnhardt Jr. meant more to NASCAR than Jeff Gordon. I mean, Jeff Gordon provided a black and a white
3: hat. Jeff Gordon and Dale Earnhardt Sr., that was awesome. I think Jeff Gordon would agree with you. I mean, Jeff had a statement this weekend, something along the lines of, in my entire racing career, I've never seen another driver do more for the sport than Dale Earnhardt Jr. And he raced with Richard Petty and Dale Earnhardt Sr., so there you go.
1: Freak Nation, follow us on Twitter at Speed Freaks. We're there for you on Instagram, Facebook, the website, speedfreaks.tv, as we've we've been doing it from Lucas Oil Studios for 21-plus years. Be sure to go to lucasoil.com to find the right product to keep your ride on the road inside your engine, outside your engine, outside your car, to the interior of your car. Lucas Oil provides the products to keep your ride looking fat and looking happy. Go to lucasoil.com. And coming up next, Supercross 250 Pilot running for a West Championship, Hunter Lawrence. He'll be joining us here in the Freak Nation, but first, how about your Statman Scat? It's
2: the Statman Scat. Oh, no. Ford is becoming the pony in the motorsports racing pile. It's not only looking at ways to electrify motorsports where it can, it's also plugging in NASCAR's young guns who run behind the Ford Blue Oval. In a couple weeks, NASCAR wannabe stars will be running in the IMSA Challenge race behind the wheel of two Mustang GT4s. Austin Sindrick, Harrison Burton, Chase Briscoe, and Halle Deegan are all part of the Ford Performance Program in NASCAR. The BMW M Endurance Challenge on January 28th will let the Ford get valuable experience running right and left before the NASCAR season gets underway next month. A day later, Cintric will step into a Mercedes GT3 and race in the new GTD Pro class at the Rolex 24. In fact, the four are at the roar before the 24 practice this weekend. A generation ago, Ford promoted that it had a better idea. Seems to me it still does. Peace. Motorsports Radio Redefined.
0: No way, and I would do
1: in the Freak Nation, passing away at 74 years old. We'll hear that interview coming up in the second hour, but first, his name is Hunter Lawrence, running in the 250 West class, Supercross 250 West class, running for a championship, a hell of a start for Hunter Lawrence, and he joins us now here in the Freak Nation. And Hunter, the schedule that you guys are on with Supercross, we're always fascinated about how riders have different perspectives on the Supercross season, where some riders like the repetition of going Saturday to Saturday to Saturday versus riders that say, man, can we just have a weekend off just to rest our bodies? Where does where does Hunter Lawrence sit with this?
6: So, yeah, the, I think you'll find the most different uh, opinions on that will be the 450 class compared to the 250 class because the 450 guys have got 17 rounds of Supercross where we only have uh, 10 or 9 on the other coast, So. Uh, I like it. I like it. You get into a rhythm and, you know, we only have six rounds kind of in a row now. So it's, it's, I like it. It's good to get in, you get into a rhythm of things, into a flow. Um, yeah. I don't think it's a bad thing, but again, I'm not doing 17 weekends back <laughs> well, to back.
1: Well, then compare that to, to the outdoors. Cause you've certainly had success in the outdoors. Do you like that? The scheduling of the outdoor series?
6: Yeah, it, again it all depends on where you're at with your body I mean if you catch a sickness or something then it's it's tough you know because you're trying to recover your body and boom every weekend you're gonna you gotta push yourself to the limits and beyond so um, yeah I don't mind it I think in the outdoors a little bit of a break is a better thing just because it's a lot more uh, physically draining and tough on your bodies so outdoors uh, the break isn't a bad thing that's for sure
2: Hunter Lawrence, you i looking over your record. Seems like you have a better record outdoors in motocross than in the Supercross. Is that—is that just perception, or uh, do you like the outdoors better?
6: Uh yeah, it's—it's. It's, I mean, I've been racing outdoors longer than my Supercross. Um, uh, Supercross I have. So actually last year I got more podiums in Supercross than I did outdoors. So just based on last year, you could say my Supercross uh, results were better than my outdoor results. But yeah, I've raced. uh, I've got a lot of results in outdoors, but I love them just as much.
2: We've been doing this for 21 years. And maybe the most fascinating thing about all the interviews that we've had is to hear a rider or a driver uh, explain when the lights came on, when he figured it out and suddenly he was running from the back of the pack to the front of the line. When did that happen for you, especially when you made that transition uh, into the stadium from uh, outdoors?
6: So yeah, the first two years when I moved to America, the first two years were tough, uh, just on injuries and stuff with my body. So it wasn't a, in a, a doubt in my mind that if, if I could do it, I
2: just had to be 100% healthy. And, and last year I was 100% healthy. To, um, say, wait a minute. Let me, let me cut you off because that is something, too, that riders have talked about. You are much closer together in a crowd, and the, the jumps and the whoops and the speed is much different in Supercross than in Motocross. Does that contribute to the uh, the injuries? Does, does that mean you have a different training regimen did that help the light come on that's maybe three questions but yeah, yeah talking about injuries that just maybe that helps explain why
6: yeah no for sure we're definitely a lot closer indoors that is true it can lead to more injuries like you said and crashes and stuff but that wasn't my issue i was Uh, It was just the injuries uh, during the preseason, So my body wasn't healthy, so I didn't crash a lot. But when I crashed, my body would would break. So um, we've got that all under control now. But, yeah, I mean, the crashes in Supercross are a little more prone due to the fact that the obstacles are way closer together and the tracks are a lot more busier, so there's there's very little room for mistake, whereas in outdoors – you have a lot more space to, if you do get sketchy or need to run off the track, you can. Whereas Supercross, it's not the case. It's a lot more busy, it's a higher heart rate. There's, there's always something coming next or right in front of yourself.
1: Hunter Lawrence joining us here in the Freak Nation, and of course the news coming out of Supercross. It is, involves you and your brother, and everybody's asking it. Uh, and it doesn't seem like it's that big of a switch. Granted, you're ge- you're geeked up getting set for the East uh, 250 class, and your brother's wanting to get into the West class. He breaks a freaking rib or two. Is it that big of a deal to go? Hold, on, I got to jump on this bike a few weeks early.
6: Uh no, because I was training. I've been training with him since the end of Outdoors. You know, we train every day together, and uh, I was. You know, I'm not sandbagging my training or anything uh, because I'm racing a little later. So lucky because if I was sandbagging and, and they said, "Hey, you got to race next week," and I, you know, <laughs> it could be a bit of a drama, like, "Oh crap! I haven't been, I haven't been training as hard. I haven't been this and that." But um, you know, thankfully, we've been working really hard and we're ready to go racing.
2: You're young enough, Hunter Lawrence, that you came up in after Ricky Carmichael sort of changed. Everything about training, uh, the guys in the, before him, they could go out, have some fun, party a little bit, race, and go back to the party. But when Ricky came along, Ricky sort of threw all that away, and he's he said, "I'm going to do this, and you're going to have to catch me." And everybody suddenly had to say, "Whoa! Now we got to train." How did you came up under after that Carmichael switch? How was your training? changed when you stepped from outdoors to indoors what did you do differently
6: so one thing you do a little different from outdoors to indoor training is that you you do a little shorter duration on the motorcycle um you're not doing 30 minutes plus two laps on a supercross track twice like you are on an outdoors track and that's just because the indoors it's so much more intense you know it's so intense and Fifteen minutes is is and twenty minutes, obviously, is, is more than enough. So, um, yeah, there's there's that. You're doing more explosive, sharper movements. Where outdoors, you're looking for more endurance. You're looking for more efficiency, which obviously efficiency is a huge thing in supercross as well. So, it's kind of like minor tweets. You know, our trainer Johnny O'Mara, who actually oh. trained Ricky Carmichael for you know majority of his career. When, like you said, Ricky came in and started was working out while the other boys were, you know, partying and stuff and having a good time. He was working hard, and then it changed the sport. So Johnny was a huge part of that. So, yeah, we're, we're definitely not under-experienced in our camp on, on what it takes to, to prepare yourself for
2: um, racing. Excuse me, uh, Hunter Lawrence, is that just riding and riding more, or do you do things – with weights, free weights, machines, running, bicycling, uh, or some combination of all of them.
6: it's everything, mate. Everything from on the bike to off the bike. Where ah, uh, jeez, <laughs> if, if only you could see a week of our of our lifestyle during the preseason, you'd just shake your head because it's it's there isn't a there's very very little spare time, you know where. We're up at dark and we're coming back and we're finishing at dark. So it's it's a lot, you know, off the bike, running, cycling, gym work, more explosive. Everyone's a little different. Some guys like to do heavier weights. A lot, other guys like to do lighter weights, more reps. You know, there's it just depends a lot on what training you have and what you think works for you and what formula you've figured out with your team, you know.
2: For what it's worth, I had some uh, doctors, some physical trainers many years ago who dealt with uh, – pro football, basketball, baseball, motocross. And they found out that the guys that had the best uh, physical conditioning, the lowest body mass, uh, fat index, whatever that term is, were motocross riders. They were in better shape than all the professional athletes. You feel that way? Do you feel like you're training uh, for, uh, I don't know, you could do it, a football season, but that's maybe a bad example. Uh, yeah, no,
6: I, I get what you're saying. I understand what you're trying to get at, and I agree. I wouldn't say we're in better shape than, than other people in, in other sports. I think our, what makes us so unique is we train muscular, explosive training of uh, an Olympic powerlifter. We need endurance of a marathon runner. And someone that does long duration cycling, etc. But you know we need the efficiency of, of uh, again the same thing, something like that. So it's it's a mix of of everything. You know you need agility, you need balance, you need uh, explosive power movements, strength, endurance, efficiency, and then on top of that, you got to you got to be mentally trained as well. You have to have focus. You have to have laser focus because it, it could one thing upstairs that takes a few. Tenths of a second to snap to a decision and that could be the difference between you know crashing and ending your season or or, or not you know
1: do you have to go with your homeboy chad reed as being your favorite supercross rider of all time
6: <laughs> it's funny it's you'd think so because he's australian but my childhood hero was ryan Villapoto. he was oh. my he was my childhood hero i love that guy
1: Wow! did right off with
6: that
2: one.
1: Yeah. <laughs> how old now, Statman? How old does that make you feel? We, we're we're known for breaking riders here in the, in the Freak Nation, where we were Bubba Stewart's, James Stewart's first interview. I think he was, uh, was he fourteen at the time? Yeah, that? fourteen.
2: Yeah, I was talking to somebody just this week about that. Yeah, yeah fourteen
1: wow. years old. Yeah, and and Chad Reed came in before he won championships and those championship races between. James Stewart and Chad Reed were legend. I mean, those two dudes hated each other, man. If if there were knives and guns available, they'd be shooting and stabbing and whatever they could do. Why can't we get back to guys hating each other on the bikes, Hunter? Come on, babe.
6: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we live in a softer generation today. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I think for one thing is because. And I could be wrong, but this is my personal opinion, is that the social media back then was nowhere near what it is now. So the media likes to twist things. Mm -hmm. And social media is a huge part of our sport now. A lot of deals, a lot of endorsements. uh, And, you know, guys don't want their their rider, their their athlete, their client looking bad on social media. So a lot of it's not encouraged. And, you know, Feld, the, the company that hosts all the races, they don't like it either you know there's penalties for for dirty riding and stuff like that and so yeah it's it's changed where you know I, I think a lot of the stuff back you know back in their era the <laughs> before social media everything you've seen on the track stuff that happened away from the track was a lot a lot more different now you know parties weren't like they are today where nearly everything gets posted on social media you know so Maybe that's why some guys don't party as much, because they know they're going to get caught on social media. Same thing. Maybe they just don't want to get blown out on social media. I don't know. Well, brother, thanks for doing this. Sounds good. Hey, thanks for having me on, boys. I appreciate it. I appreciate it.
1: Again, Hunter Lawrence running for that 250 West Championship in the Supercross Series, and we'll continue on with more Supercross. His name is Adam Cianciarello, big-time 450 star. He joins us next. Coming up, Speed Freaks Pits and the Lucas Oil Studios.
3: Hey, Freak Nation, if the grind, whine, and squeal of your vehicle's power steering makes you cringe every time you reach for the wheel, then grab Lucas Power Steering Stop Leak. That's Lucas's unique formula that fixes most worn rack and pinions, pumps, and gearboxes, making them perform like new. Using Lucas Power Steering Stop Leak, you'll find it eliminates squeals, seal leaks, and rough spots. And get this, it's 100% guaranteed. So there's no reason to use anything but Lucas Power Steering Stop Leak. Lucas Oil, it works
4: now you can get generic viagra shipped to your door for about two dollars a pill get the same impact for less call steel man pills now and get the same blue pill for about two dollars a pill call now for the 50 pill special and save even more plus get a free bonus
5: 800-993-1327 800-993-1327 That's 800-993-1327. A Freak Nation, did you hear? With the addition of MAV-TV
1: Plus to the MAV-TV Motorsports Network, they've got their full live event broadcast schedule for 2021. It's a total of 226 live race broadcasts featuring 11 highly competitive racing series. This year's live coverage on MAV-TV features the Arca Menard Series, Midget Car Action provided by the Power Eye National Midget League, the Lucas Oil Late Model Dirt Series, and the Pro Pulling League. There's even the Moto America Series, Midwest Drag Racing Series, American Sprint Car Series, Pro Motor Motocross, Hoosier Arena Cross, and the Lucas Oil Chili Bowl National. It's MAV TV's most robust live coverage schedule in network history. So come join us at MAV TV, the only television network in the U.S. dedicated exclusively to motorsports. For more information on MAV TV and MAV TV Plus, go to MAVTV.com to get your motorsports fixed 24 7, 365.
2: time is more valuable today. There's less time to keep our vehicles looking their best. That's where Lucas Oil Slick Mist Speed Wax steps up. It's great for paint, chrome, glass, and vinyl. Lucas Oil Slick Mist simply mists on and then wipes off, leaving a new car shine every time. It's quick and easy and works on wet or dry surfaces. For a complete detail, there's also Slick Mist Interior or Slick Mist Tire and Trim Shine. Lucas Oil. It works.
3: General Tire, supporting the Freak Nation for two decades.
0: You're listening to Speed Freaks. Motorsports Radio. Redefined. As long as the
1: Nation 450 Supercross Star Adam Cincerello joining us here in the Freak Nation. A number of things that we could talk to him about. Briefly talk to him about meeting him shoot 10 years ago, 10 11 years ago when he was just or a more. young young punk uh, at 14 15 years old. Bro, you look hey, like you might have Wait a minute. What?
2: Forget all of that. The yep. guy comes in the Freak Nation and you welcome him into the Freak Nation by calling him a young punk. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. I love it i love it <laughs> he's he's sitting there smiling otherwise he's got oh we got difficulty here I'm a, I'm, we lost connection <laughs> adam, don't let him call you a young punk
7: oh, it's okay I, I can take it i can take it well the point i
1: was getting to adam was you go back to the time when we first met you to where you are now you may have aged a year you think <laughs> Yeah, you you still look that's so it. dang dang young. I'm probably not the first person that's ever said that, right?
7: Yeah, it's funny. I think uh, growing up, I was always like the little guy. I always had the baby face. Uh, when I was twelve, I looked nine. When I was seventeen, I looked twelve. It just uh, and so on and so forth. So I'm hoping it pays off eventually. I'm hoping being forty or fifty, maybe I'll still look thirty. That'd be awesome. But, Is that uh,
3: why you grew the mustache in uh, the fall season?
7: Yeah, the mustache was more of just a bet with some friends. Um, Definitely a different look. I think it's funny because people do, even people that I'm around, uh, that I've been around for years, they still view me as that little kid, right? And so the little Movember mustache thing really threw people for a loop. I, I was getting a good kick out of it.
3: Is that offensive at times? I mean, I don't mean this in a fully negative way, but do you get upset when people still look at you and say, hey, you're still the young guy?
7: No, not really. I think probably when I was a littler kid and you kind of have that like little man's complex growing up, you know, I was always, I always felt like I kind of got picked on for being small or, or whatever. And I, I think at maybe at that point it was a little bit annoying, but I'm like, I'm like one of the tallest dudes out here on the circuit now, <laughs> um, kind of living the dream, making a lot of money racing dirt bikes. So you can't bring me down.
3: There you go. Perfect. (laughs) Let your, let your writing speak for you. Yeah. There you go. And and like you said, you're having the time of your life.
7: I am. Yeah. It's easy to get caught up in, uh, you know, our goals and everything that you want to do, everything you want to accomplish. But in reality, no matter how the races go on Saturday nights, it's like, this is something that I've always wanted to do since I was a little kid. And I try not to let myself forget that on a daily basis. You know, sometimes it's not great. Just like anything you do all the time. But uh, most of the time, it's pretty amazing.
2: Adam, when you were young and they were, I don't know, he didn't say picking on you, but when you were young and and you were like the the young guy in the crowd, did that drive you to do something a little more on the edge like racing motorcycles?
7: Yeah, I think, I mean, I've been racing motorcycles for as long as I can remember being alive. Really, I started (laughs) racing a dirt bike when I was uh, three years old uh, riding when I was three racing when I was four. Um, but I think it gave it, and I, I was pretty good right away in terms of results. Um, but I think it, it gave me kind of like a chip on my shoulder. It, it made me want to prove people wrong. Um, that you could do, do it, something
2: it, they couldn't, and you were the best at it and, you know, bring your best and I could, I could top it.
7: Yeah, exactly. I just, I just liked I always liked the idea of just being able to settle everything on the track, right? Like talk all you want, but we're going to go, we're going to race. And I'm going to destroy you. That's That's how I, yes. you know, I, I've evolved. Uh, I've evolved now into the more of an adult mentality, but back then uh, certainly I had a lot of uh, I guess, teenage angst behind my, my riding. Do they still kid you now that things in the paddock
2: can get pretty mm-hmm. vicious. Do They still kid you about, being the young looking guy on the on the circuit,
7: no, not really. um I, I have a really good group of people that I surround myself with on a daily basis, um and, and at the races, as, as far as, you know, Team Kawasaki and my, my trainer, my friends, everybody that's involved in my program. And my thing now is just wearing crazy outfits all the time. So it's like I'm <laughs> I'm trying I'm trying to get people to clown me. I'm just trying. I'm like, you know, we've been I've been doing the same thing for a long time, and I, I like to switch it up and have fun. So. Um, I, I love to roast my friends too, just to, to go at them. I, I don't care who it is, and I, I like taking it, uh, taking it back as well.
1: Adam Cincerello joining us here on <laughs> the Freak Nation, four hundred and fifty Supercross star, and you talk about the the way you ride now, and I, I didn't chuckle, but I thought, hold on a second, this is a guy that gets after it. There's a time when you're you look like you're out of control with the way you ride from time to time, which reminds me of you know young teenagers, but at the same time it's just part of your nature to ride. Like it's the last lap of the race for the first 20 minutes.
7: Absolutely. I think, um, part of what makes me, me on a dirt bike, um, is that kind of desperation behind my riding, you know, it's, Um, It's split second decisions where you take the risk or don't, where I I feel like I can um, separate myself from others, but it can also be my biggest hindrance as well. You have to. So I've spent a lot of time over the past years trying to figure out when exactly to use that trait, when exactly to be aggressive and to um, be a little out of control whenever it's necessary. But it's a long season. Um, you can't win championships just being crazy all the time. And, and that's something that, as I've gotten older, of course, my riding's matured, you know, as well as me. Um, and, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm not scared to get Buck Wild out there, 100% chance, which is weird, which is weird because I'm such a logical person off the bike. Like, I'm not this daredevil, no fear guy, but there's just something about, you know, when I put the helmet on, everything just changes.
1: I'm curious if there was any type of comparison. This shows you how long we've been around. We've been doing this for 21 years. We were James Stewart's first interview at 14, 15 years old. Yeah. Uh, And he was known for being out of control. Granted, he won some championships, but many people feel that he should have won much, much more. Has there been any discussion that Adam is like James Stewart out of control? If he just settles down, he could win these championships?
7: I'm hesitant to say there's any James Stewart comparison because James James is one of one. Um, he's yeah. one of my heroes growing up, so definitely want to stay out of stay out of the comparisons with him. Uh, I got a long way to go. I got to get a lot faster before uh, before I'm on that level. But in terms of what I can do on a motorcycle versus what I've accomplished results wise, it's clear that I'm I have the potential and I'm capable of doing. Um, more results-wise than I have. You know, I have everything I need to do that. Um, I have a great team, a great motorcycle. I have the talent. I have the speed. And it, it's bringing the other things together. Like I said, consistency, being smart, racecraft, all these things that, um, you know, I'm I'm learning and I'm applying on a daily basis. And uh, certainly have made a lot of inroads recently and, and look forward to just kind of, you know, keeping that going and, um, and having fun in the process.
3: But see, that's the thing. It is coming to you because I mean, look at the starts. Look at like last season. You've been up front. I mean, things are coming together. It's baby steps. Things take time. You need to have this process before the next level can be reached, and you're right there.
7: Yeah, that's how I try to look at it. You know, I think this sport is this sport is difficult. Um, It's hard to be up there, and even in the main, even just to make a main event. I mean, people don't understand. You know. Uh, a lot of the times the top three or top five guys get most of the, the credit, but one through 22 on that gate, they have so much talent and they're such yes. good athletes. And and to be up there with them, uh, battling is an honor of mine. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I take everything, all the positives I can. The last couple of years, I've had a couple of injuries that have kept me from um, kind of doing what I'd like to do, but I like to try to focus on. Only the things I can control, you know, put one foot in front of the other and do everything I can to be the best. And um, throughout my career, I've done that and uh, good results, bad results. I, I don't have any regrets at all because I know I wake up every day and I, and I grind for it and uh, I know I'll get there.
3: I so want to get into you roasting your friends, but we may have to save that for another interview because that opened my eyes earlier. But you've got such a great way, a great perspective of looking at life because you posted something, it might have been around the new year, about the consequences of good things that happen and the consequences of bad things that happen. You never know why things are lined up in a a certain way that they're supposed to be lined up. That was amazing. It's just, you, you have it. You have it right here. I can tell.
7: Thank you. Thank you. I uh, It's funny, you know, growing up, you think, I'll try to keep this short. Growing up, you think, uh, you know, dirt bikes are your purpose, right? I mean, I all like I told you guys, from three or four years old, it's all I want to do, win races, win races, win races. Um, you know, and I had this path laid out for myself. And, and the path, it didn't go exactly how I thought it would, right? And, and this stuff really means a lot to me. And so when it didn't go exactly my way, it kind of forced me to go inward and be like, I don't know. Find more sustainability. You know, Mm -hmm. you know, I I can't be relying on these race wins or podiums and everything like for my soul, soul happiness in life. Right. So I I kind of found that sustainability, that perspective. Um, And I I look back now, I see all those challenges and I see what they've done for me and and how much they've changed me as a person. It's like, that's what sports are all about at the end of the day. Um, If I never won another dirt bike race, uh, it's been it's been worth it. Absolutely. But I want to win. I want to win. Don't get me wrong.
5: Nice.
2: Adam at. I appreciate the maturity you're talking about here uh, and learning a little bit and growing. Did some of that maturity come? You had three bad shoulder injuries. Did some of that maturity come laying in bed, looking out the window, uh, thinking, I got to do something different? Did, did that help forward that along a little bit?
7: Absolutely. I've, uh, I've had a lot of shoulder issues throughout my career. Um, I was leading my first ever Supercross championship at 17 years old. Um, And I just, my shoulder just like popped out of the socket and it kind of started a string of events, a string of injuries, things I felt were outside of my control. And yeah, it it speeds it up a lot. Anytime you have something that you care about so much and, and stuff from outside your control just keeps happening, keeps happening. It, you know, you kind of start to get this complex, like you're the center of the universe, and everything's out to get you, right? Um, and it just, yeah, I guess I just I've grown from from that perspective, um, understanding that's not the case. Understanding that stuff just happens, and all I can do is uh, find value in the quality of my work ethic every day, um, and be the best I can. And to me, that's winning. Well, it did
2: prove successful. You got a what a two fifty championship. Uh, last year, the year before, uh, they start to run together after a while. <laughs> <laughs> Ask you know,
3: Adam that, yeah. yeah
2: you, got, you got a championship. Uh, did that show you that, yeah, I could do this? Did that give you some confidence to uh, keep going down that road?
7: Yes, it did. I mean, that 250 championship was uh, probably my top racing moment of my life so far. Uh, I was leading the, the Supercross championship earlier in the year. Um, in 2019 and at the last race, like with two laps ago, I made this mistake and lost the championship when I kind of had it wrapped up and it was, it was such a low point for me. It was, you know, I'd always wanted that supercross championship so bad. And we actually only get one weekend off between that last race of supercross and the start of our outdoor motocross season. Yep. Um, and so I kind of had to rebound right then and there. And, and that's kind of been that moment in Vegas, um, you know and, and at the end of the summer i was able to get the outdoor motocross championship kind of from that moment forward it's i've kind of been a different person since since that um since that happened and and certainly winning that championship was yeah one of the best days of my life for sure a culmination of a lot of work and um, a lot of people behind me
2: i always appreciate we've been doing this kenny's at 21 years i'll be 22 in june I always appreciate hearing a driver or rider talk about when the lights come on and that to me, that's, that adds a level of another level of maturity, uh, because they can see what I've been doing. Is it going to work? And now I could do something different and that works and going forward. Was that one of those moments for you that the lights came on? I can do this. Let's keep rolling.
7: Yeah, I did. I I think it was originally what happened was I think I was it was so much emotion right away from the loss of the championship that it just made me tune everything out and only focus on like what's right in front of me. And I've always just kind of been a deep thinker. And I've kind of, um, you know, thought about the future a lot, thought about the past a lot. And it just kind of made me realize that I need to be more present in what I'm doing. Um, and, And kind of that's been my approach since that moment. And it seems to, you know, when I do that the best, I seem to perform the best. Um, but definitely cool. Just sports in general. It's just, it's so cool to kind of, like you said, you're always kind of testing different mentalities here or there, different training methods. And yeah, you see how it all works when the lights come on.
1: All right. Well, you're a veteran at uh, some shoulder issues. I've, my, my mountain bike went Oof. This way, this way, and I went this way on the side of a mountain. Broke my collarbone about three months ago, and the sun bitch still hadn't healed. Uh, can you help me out? You got some magic sauce? Is there something at the store that I can buy to help this heal this store? freaking
7: collarbone, my friend? I have just if you want to come over to my house, I've got about every piece of rehabilitation equipment and the newest <laughs> technology available to heal bones and ligaments and everything you could possibly need. So. If it's normally a four to six week recovery time for a collarbone, I'll cut that in half for you. Absolutely. (laughs) There you go. There you go. (laughs) If you go go back
2: to, uh, what was that movie that uh, the Karate Kid where he slaps his hands together? Mr. Miyagi. And Mr. Miyagi and (laughs) that doesn't work?
7: Uh, We could give it a shot, but so far in my experience, it has not. I've tried it. You've tried it, huh? It's
3: a Hollywood secret. You're he's, not supposed to give that away. He, I, <laughs> right? he's,
1: supposed, he's supposed to say, Kitty, you need about 32 to 64 ounces of Monster once a day. Yeah, that right. heals anything that ails you.
3: That's the, That's the. yes, the liquid Absolutely. diet. Absolutely.
1: Six, 16
7: ounces a day keeps the doctor away. Absolutely.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> hey, Adam, it's been our pleasure to have you here in the Freak Nation. Uh, to stay up, stay upright on that bike and and have the best season that you've had in the 450s. All right, buddy?
7: Thank you guys for having me on. Really appreciate it, as always. You're good. Perfect. It. See you, buddy. See ya. Thank you.
1: Yeah, I like that guy, Adam Cincirillo, joining us here in the Freak Nation. Second hour of the Freaks coming up. NASCAR drivers doing some things this year that, frankly, they haven't been allowed to do. We'll talk about that. And my interview with Meatloaf back in 1994. We'll spend some time with Old Meat. It's coming up next Speed Freaks Pits and the Lucas Oil Studios. <laughs>
0: Speed Freaks, Motorsports Radio, redefined.
1: Freak Nation, we lost a hell of a rock and roll singer, operatic singer, singer, uh, actor, Meatloaf, died at 74. We're going to hear from Meatloaf this hour. I spent a half a day with the guy hanging out in the Tokyo Harley-Davidson in 1994 when just after the, I believe 1993 is when Bat Out of Hell 2, back, Bat Out of Hell 2, Back Into Hell was released in the latter part of 93. Then in 94, I spent uh, a half a day with him in the Tokyo Harley Davidson talking about the release when it came out in in Japan. Uh, we talked a little bit about this last hour, what he meant to rock and roll. I don't need to go in another diatribe of what really what he meant to music in general and, re- frankly, current artists as we speak. But stick around for that. Meatloaf. Meatloaf. By the way, from, I say my hometown, it's like, I went to the Carrollton Farmers Branch. I mean, I was school district. Carrollton Farmers. We were neighbors. He was raised in Farmers Branch. I was raised in Carrollton. These are suburbs of, of Dallas. And again, hey, we hung out in the same damn Dairy Queen. Granted, I was
3: you hung out. Yep, hung out.
1: Yeah, fifteen years later, but you know, we still hung out. <laughs> Not like I said, hey, what's up, meat? <laughs> and he's serious dad. he says, uh, it's like when I introduced myself, so what the hell do I call you, meat? It's okay.
3: What's and, okay.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> we had a person. We had a, a, a common friend that I worked with who knew him well, and he would just go on rants, and that's what he called him. Meet you know, Stat that's <laughs> that was the man. Statman, If you were if you were going to
1: be called, which by the way, Freak Nation coming up in moments, your Statman Scat and NASCAR Cup drivers, a lot of them. Well, okay, more than usual. These drivers are being allowed to do this more so than they have in previous years. We'll get to that story coming up. But quickly, Statman, if you were going to be called a meat, <laughs> what would you like to be called?
3: <laughs> meat Man? So he's not Statman. He'd be Meat Man.
1: What kind of what, what, I hit stat, meat loaf? What would you be
2: called? Oh, wow.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I, you know, I could go into several names that I despise enormously, so I'm not going <laughs> to. Okay. Okay. I, I've more. seen you eat ribs. What about baby back? Oh. All right, that's right. That'll work. <laughs> Instead of meat, it'd be baby back. Yeah. <laughs> and it would probably get reduced to back, you know. Right.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's your baby back ribs. That's Statman's name. So we'd be calling Statman <laughs> baby back, Mr. Ribs. What's up, baby back? What's up? BBR? <laughs>
3: BBR.
1: Crasher, what about you? What kind of meat would you be? Prosciutto.
3: Just to make it hard for people to say, and also because I freaking love myself a prosciutto meat tray. Mm, 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 mm. Prosciutto. <laughs> thought that was uh,
2: cheese. It would, take, it would take somebody from <laughs> Indianapolis. What? To be, to be I want to be called prosciutto. yeah <laughs> That yeah, that's indie bonics in the, in the <laughs> no, prosciutto.
3: no, it's prosciutto. What's what are those? Oh, charcuterie boards that people are all. It's all the rage now. It's been ever since COVID started. Ah, let's make these meat and cheese boards, and yeah, for some reason the prosciutto is the meat that I always go towards. So prosciutto. yeah.
2: <laughs> okay. Hey, if somebody calls you prosciutto, you'd smack them. <laughs> yeah. That's like a Italian cuss word, isn't it?
3: <laughs> prosciutto! Prosciutto, prosciutto, prosciutto! Yeah,
2: right,
1: yeah, You
3: know. can't say that. FCC regulations.
2: Yeah, that's probably, that's probably, it got kicked off of four stations just, just <laughs>
3: right. for hearing that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kenny, your meat go-to.
1: Well, I was thinking about, and it, it stopped real quick. I said, Q, and I went, oh, shoot, I can't be Q, because we know what the Q is around this country right now. Because barbecue... You know, BBQ. Oh, what's you up? You can be Q
3: if you want to be but Q. But
1: barbecue no, is... No, can,
3: no, not today.
1: No, not no. Today. Barbecue can be chicken. It can be pork. It can be but ribs. So I've got to be a certain... Maybe maybe ribeye. You
2: know? No. Or, or link. <laughs> <laughs> Hot link. Sorry. There you go.
1: Remember, we knew a uh, freestyle... Freestyle dri- uh, uh, rider oh. called Link. <laughs> oh, we need to right. stay away from that man. <laughs> <laughs> they're,
3: they're On one of our first shows. That.
1: All right, Cre- Freak Nation, uh, coming up. Your Statman Scat and NASCAR Cup drivers are finally allowed to do this. We'll get to that. Coming up, Speed Freaks pits and the Lucas Oil Studios. But first, Crash Gladys pit news and notes coming up. <laughs>
0: Speed Freaks, we promise to suck less. Speed Freaks, Motorsports Radio, redefined
1: the freaks. Welcoming in another round of affiliates here in the Freak Nation. Speed Freaks on a Sunday night from the Lucas Oil Studios. Coming up, you got Crash Gladys Pit News and Notes. Brought to you by our good friends at General Tire. It's still wet out there, it's still icy out there, it's still snowy out there. That's why you need yourself some new General Tires. For more information, go to the website. That's GeneralTire.com. GeneralTire.com, the official tire of the freaks. Crasher?
3: It's addicting to win races. I don't want to be a one-hit wonder. I want to go out there and back it up. Ah, those are the elated words of Chase Sexton, now a Supercross 450 winner after he rode an incredible race in San Diego Saturday night and even battled champ Eli Tomac to solidify his first win in the Big Boy Series. Chase's extra midweek practices paid off in dividends, and now the 450 class has been put on notice that there's yet another man amongst the title ranks. Tomac was second, and Dylan Fernandez rounded out the 450 podium. In the 250s, Michael Mossiman notched his first career main win in San Diego as he grabbed the whole shot and never looked back. Hunter Lawrence was second. Christian Craig recovered from a first-lap crash to take home third. Things have heated up in Daytona as the roar before the 24 went off this weekend at the road course. And yes, I also saw the movie Cars playing on the big screen in the middle of the track. First it was practice, then the run for the pole for the qualifying race, then the actual pole run. Bottom line, guys, it was nuts, but we are finally there. This week is the 24 Hours of Daytona. Who you got, my friends? Meanwhile in Monte Carlo... When we went to bed on Saturday, Sebastian Ogier was all but done as the winner of his ninth Monte Carlo rally. But come Sunday, he suffered a flat and Sebastian Loeb was back on the top spot. I mean, it is January, people, yet here we are with mega drama everywhere. And speaking of, well, I guess sort of, Dale Earnhardt Jr. was inducted into the NASCAR Hall of Fame on Friday night. We've been talking about this. It was emotional and exciting to boot. Just a complete... Appreciation that Dale revealed to his family, his friends, his fan base. It was heartwarming. Congrats to Dale Earnhardt Jr., Red Farmer, and Mike Stefanik for their deserving careers being honored.
1: Crash Gladys Pit News and Notes brought to you by our good friends at General Tire. That's generaltire.com. Check out their website to find the tire for your righteous ride. Remember, it's icy and snowy out there. Make sure you got a fresh shed of rubbers from General Tire. More Freaks coming up. Speed Freaks. Motorsports Radio Redefined. How about this, Freak Nation? No matter how big your car or truck is, nothing in your engine takes more abuse than its oil. But with Lucas Heavy Duty Oil Stabilizer, your engine oil will last longer to do the job it was designed to do, protect your engine, and offer peak performance. Lucas Oil Heavy Duty Stabilizer, it eliminates dry starts, lowers engine temperatures, and prolongs the life of your oil up to 50%. Hey man, don't let your engine be caught dead without the protection and performance of Lucas Heavy Duty Oil Stabilizer. That's right, keep that engine alive with Lucas Oil
4: now you can get generic viagra shipped to your door for about two dollars a pill get the same impact for less call steel man pills now and get the same blue pill for about two dollars a pill call now for the 50 pill special and save even more plus get a free bonus 800-993-1327
5: 800-993-1327 That's 800-993-1327.
3: Hey, Freak Nation, whether you're looking for a tire that balances high performance responsiveness and traction in wet and light snow conditions, excellent handling and traction in off-road situations, or a summer performance tire designed with the driving enthusiast in mind, General Tire has you covered. From the G-Max RS to the Grabber ATX, no matter what you drive, General Tire will get you where you're going. Learn more at GeneralTire.com. General Tire, supporting the Freak Nation for two decades.
2: It's called a tune-up in a bottle for good reason. One little bottle added to every tank of fuel is like a team of mechanics going to work. Lucas Fuel Treatment cleans and lubricates the entire fuel system. It increases power and fuel economy and burns excess exhaust emissions. Lucas Oil Fuel Treatment is the best and simplest way to get your vehicle to perform at its peak. Keep that engine alive with Lucas Oil.
4: Call U.S.
5: Med now to learn more. 800-756-8720. 800-756-8720. 800-756-8720. That's 800-756-8720.
3: Hey, Freak Nation, if the grind, whine, and squeal of your vehicle's power steering makes you cringe every time you reach for the wheel, then grab Lucas Power Steering Stop Leak. That's Lucas's unique formula that fixes most worn rack and pinions, pumps, and gearboxes, making them perform like new. Using Lucas Power Steering Stop Leak, you'll find it eliminates squeals, seal leaks, and rough spots. And get this, it's 100% guaranteed, so there's no reason to use anything but Lucas Power Steering Stop Leak. Lucas Oil, it works.
0: You're listening to Speed Freaks. Motorsports Radio, redefined.
5: Well, I remember
8: every little thing as if it happened only yesterday. Parking by the lake and there was not another car inside.
5: And I never... The kids at school,
1: they were wishing they were me that night. Meatloaf dead at 74. I had a chance to spend half a day with a guy in Japan in the mid-90s. We'll hear that interview coming up this hour. Well, portions of it. Hell, it took up half a damn day. But we'll hear portions of that coming up. You'll get insight to really how he got his name. The introduction to Tim Curry for Rocky Horror Picture Show. And the, some of the concepts behind Bat Out of Hell and "Bad Out of Hell 2, Back Into Hell, which he was on tour promoting that record in 94 when I caught up with him. Meatloaf coming up here in the Freak Nation. Looks like um, more cup drivers going to be racing outside of NASCAR for 2022. It started where, I don't care if it's Richard Petty or Pearson, A.J. Foyt, Mario Andretti, drivers would drive anything. Unsers, they would. Drivers would drive anything. And then I don't know when it changed. Stat man, maybe when there was so much cake being sunk into these teams and these drivers that team owners said, "Nope, you're sticking with Cup because there's a chance you might get injured and we might lose a sponsorship." And then all of a sudden, we see Chase Elliott crasher at mm-hmm. the Chili Bowl, flipping, take a gnarly <laughs> flip, and you can't tell me that Rick Hendrick's going. Oh my God, I need to get that guy, but nope. Uh, stat crash evidently these owners are freeing up these drivers to go race more because
2: of the likes of Kyle Larson. Yeah. I think it was the Kyle Larson deal that that got everybody's attention because he raced every moment he woke up, you know, anytime he got three, <laughs> three people together, he was looking for a car to race the other two. You know? So, uh, uh, the other dry, the other owners are saying that uh, we could save money by not having these guys practicing and let somebody else pay for their practice. That that fits cup owners without question.
3: <laughs> yeah, thanks to COVID cutting back all those practices. And they're really, I think there's only six races out of the 36 points paying races this year that have extended practice. So even though we're, Two years away from when COVID first took over the world, practices are not coming back. So, yeah, this is another chance for drivers to get the feel of driving that you cannot get, no matter how much racing you do. It's just you need butt-in-the-seat time. And, yeah, this is their way of doing it, and I love it. I'm so glad that they're going back to this.
1: Alex Bowman says that he's going to run a sprint car 30 to 35
2: times Whoa. in 2022. Chase yeah, Briscoe. Sprint wow. cars are insane. <laughs> People that know what they're doing can bounce a sprint car into the parking lot. So uh, I, you have to worry about stuff like that.
3: Well, Bowman, Bowman raced a lot of sprint cars in his past through so the
2: West Coast. And Lasoski bounced one into yeah. the parking lot once. So,
5: you know.
1: Valid point. Yeah. Chase Briscoe says 15 to 25 dirt races a year. Justin Haley. Who he's got a dirt modified says uh, that him and owner Matt Collig, uh, he's going to run 30 to 40 additional races. William Byron, Snowball Derby, and some super late models. Yeah, Chase Elliott, Ryan Blaney looking to get more out on the dirt.
3: Interesting. It's all the younger guys, which yeah. is good. Like and yeah, they came up that way. You mm-hmm. know, they
2: came up in carts and they raced kind of anything. And it's odd for them not to race everything. <laughs> So Truex, who's kind of a a bridge guy from the old school to now, he's talking about racing uh, midgets. He'd been, he'd been in one with Toyota uh, a year or so ago, and he liked it, and he wants to do more of it.
1: Well, and, and, and going back to your Scat stat man, it's not just dirt races. These are the, the number of these drivers look to go sports car racing.
2: Yeah, there's a, a time when. They don't, didn't, drivers in NASCAR didn't know how to turn right. They had, uh, what do you call them, the ringers. That road, or,
3: road course ringers.
2: Yeah, and they would come in, and when the car turned right, they'd, hey, come over here and turn my car right. So uh, they, uh, they've, they're they've they teaching them how to race, and it improves their racecraft and improves, the, they learn how to turn right. And it's only, uh, what, four or five? Well, they have more road races now after last year. They're racing on the Roval. They've got the, the Glen and uh, uh, other places. Where Austin. They race. Yeah. Austin, yeah, exactly. Elkhart Lake. So, um, yeah, they need to learn how to do this. They look silly if they don't know how to turn right. And a lot of the drivers who are coming up now, they came up racing, turning right and left. So uh, they want to do it as well as the owners want them to do it
1: you look at these drivers getting out and I think you guys it's it's funny how we stumble on things and how these owners look at them getting seat time they get seat time and you're right they don't have to pay a dime these are other <laughs> it's these the, it's Kyle Larson's team or it's Alex Bowman's team it's other owners team that they're paying for these cats to get their hands on the wheel on on a on a race car that for all intents and purposes, helps them in their cup ride.
2: Makes a lot of yeah, sense to me. Yeah, and that's uh, this is strictly tangential, and it's a rabbit hole. I'll say that up front, but that might be something that IndyCar guys could be doing when they uh, they go for three or four years between seasons, and <laughs> they get a chance to race. They should be going to the 24 hours of Daytona and the Mm -hmm. roar before the 24. They used to do that more. And now uh, maybe they should do it again just to get back into the swing of things before the season starts.
3: Without question. I agree.
1: Freak Nation, 43 million copies of Bat Out of Hell. Yep. From Meatloaf. It's Meatloaf. Jim Steinman and producer Todd Rundgren. One of the greatest selling albums of all time. I spent a good amount of time with him back in 1994 when he was promoting Bad Out of Hell 2 back into hell. He joined me in Japan. I was hosting a, a show in Japan, and a number of musicians would roll through there, and here I am hanging out in Harley Davidson with Meatloaf. We'll, we'll hear a good <laughs> chunk of that interview. Yours truly and Meatloaf coming up next. But first, your stat man, Scat. It's
2: Oh. Ford is becoming the pony in the motorsports racing pile. It's not only looking at ways to electrify motorsports where it can, it's also plugging in NASCAR's young guns who run behind the Ford Blue Oval. In a couple weeks, NASCAR wannabe stars will be running in the IMSA Challenge race behind the wheel of two Mustang GT4s. Austin Sindrick, Harrison Burton, Chase Briscoe, and Halle Deegan are all part of the Ford Performance Program in NASCAR. The BMW M Endurance Challenge on January 28th will let the Ford get valuable experience running right and left before the NASCAR season gets underway next month. A day later, Cedric will step into a Mercedes GT3 and race in the new GTD Pro class at the Rolex 24. In fact, the four are at the Roar Before the 24 practice this weekend. A generation ago, Ford promoted that it had a better idea. Seems to me it still does. Peace. Peace. Motorsports Radio redefined.
0: of course, one Loaf
1: course, meatloaf here at the Freak Nation. 74 years old. He died this week. We'll celebrate his life coming up in moments with my interview from 1994 with Meatloaf. But first, this segment brought to you by our good friends at General Tire. Still icy, still snow outside, Freaks. Yeah, there's winter going on, man. Make sure you have some new General Tires on that righteous ride. To find out the tire for your ride, go to GeneralTire.com. That's GeneralTire.com, the official tire of the Freaks. 1993, "Bad Out of Hell" two, "Back into Hell" was released, and in 1994, I caught up with Meatloaf in Japan, of all places, in a Harley Davidson shop, talking about "Bad Out of Hell" two, the life and times of Meatloaf. It's incredible. Enjoy the next 20, 25 minutes of my time with Meatloaf here on the Freak Nation and the Lucas All Studios from Harley Davidson in Tokyo.
8: This kind of fits your image at times, huh?
9: Well, it, it, uh, the, it fits the image. It doesn't fit me. <laughs> the, the image yeah. is motorcycles, uh, right. because we use them on the cover. Oh, yeah. But uh, um, personally,
8: I'm scared to death of them. <laughs> they can't, they can't I, take you for a ride. Yeah,
9: no, I mean, I, you know, I've ridden in some movies, right. and I crashed one in a video going about 60 miles an hour once.
8: Well, she had a little limp over there. Uh, uh, so.
9: Yeah, no, I don't think that—that's from playing football. Uh, right.
8: But um,
9: no, so so I, I I like to do my shows. I like to go on tour, so I, I don't really ride motor because I I never could when I was in Dallas. I never right. could ride bicycles too well. So well, let's talk about Dallas. Well, no, you know because you told know, me yeah. motorcycle. Right. I wanted, I was so big as a kid, and this is—it sounds like a joke, but I, and and you grew up in a very close to where I did, right? And I actually. It was so big that my bicycle, I was riding my bicycle, and the frame actually broke in half. And so after that, I decided that two wheels had probably better not be, you know, my thing. So sort of, I will not even, even ride those jet
8: skis things. So, Well, I forgot to say, he's also a heck of a storyteller, we're going to hear some great stories. But Dallas, I have my own feelings and own, own perspective of growing up in Dallas. What what memories do you have growing up? Farmers Branch, a a suburb of Dallas.
9: Yeah. What memories do I have? Bad food, (laughs) really bad, (laughs) horrible food. That's my uh, that's my main memory. You know, um, there was something about Texas that the the food wasn't very healthy. I don't think they knew about that. Come on. Not when I grew up. I don't know what our age difference is, but. But when I, the, I, I, seem to remember eating everything out of a can somehow. <laughs> everything came from a tin can, and uh, so it wasn't uh, wasn't what I eat now. I can tell right. you that my wife now, like you know, very healthy. Was your dad a, a Dallas cop? He was early on, yeah, right. right very uh, before I was born, he was a cop. Yeah, I bet
8: I bet he had some stories.
9: Oh, right. he knew. Um, oh, he did have some stories. He knew. Um, he knew Jack Ruby and Ooh. and all and and all those uh, all the police down in that area at that point in time. Yeah, all he, the, uh, the Kennedy. Yeah, all the of. Kennedy.
8: Yeah, he knew all those those people. When did you When did you leave Dallas? You, oh, you left uh,
9: at a fairly young age. Didn't yeah you? long Yeah, in in the '60s, in the in the late '60s, and you went left on California. your own. Yeah, right. Went young into age. California and and. Um, I have no idea how I got started into rock and roll, but I did there. But I also in California got started into theater, which was which was a double kind of whammy. So I did both, um, and I in New York in the in the middle '70s I was doing uh, working for Joe Papp and doing Shakespeare in the Park and going down at night and uh, playing in rock and roll bands at Max's mm-hmm. Kansas City. So at eight thirty I'd be up uptown. Central Park, doing Shakespeare and at midnight. I'd be down in Max's Kansas City wearing motorcycle jackets and singing rock and roll, and everybody thought I was weird. The the people at the rock and roll place thought I was completely out of my mind. You, what? Where, you do Shakespeare? What? And and what are you talk, And the people doing Shakespeare were going, "You you sing rock and roll? And what? Are, what are you nuts?" And and so everybody. And so it still it still does that today. People have no idea who I am, what I do and and they just and they and sometimes they the name uh my wife says i have a my name is a double edged sword mm-hmm. uh, that people remember it but also sometimes people don't take me very seriously about what i do and and uh and um and uh, you know i'm not i'm not uh,
8: but you don't I'm take not. life serious.
9: Well, it's no, life. I don't I take my work seriously. Okay. I don't take myself serious. You know, right. I don't I don't think that I'm um I'm, I'm better than this person out there and I don't I don't I don't play the fame game. Uh-huh. You know, uh so that I don't I don't do. You know, right. but when it comes time to when those people have have bought those tickets that's important. There you go. That's that's important. And when the people buy the records cuz that's um they they they've spent their money on that, you know. So the, I mean that's yeah. that's important. So then it becomes serious. Yes, it does. But but as far as uh, you know, being famous and and uh, telling people you can't look at me or uh, you know playing that and all the you know bodyguards. and yeah, that's not your game. No, no. And so no, I don't I don't like I don't like yeah. that. I don't like that game. Well, New York. Well, it
8: was L.A. or New York where you got the gig with Rocky Horror Picture?
9: Oh, Show. In, in New York. Yeah, I got it. Well, it, I mean, I did it in L.A., but I got I, they they had I actually finished the play. Um I was at the Kennedy Center in Washington DC and I had uh, been a, had been doing a play there for 6 weeks and uh I this is true I literally walked in to my apartment
0: mm-hmm.
9: back in New York I'd been gone for 6 weeks put my bag down right at the front you know you walk in you put your bag down you look around you check your mail and do things like that and as I was like heading for the mail or whatever the phone rang and and it was uh, uh, a fellow by the name of Brian Abnet, and he said, "Is this meatloaf?" And I said, "Yeah." And he said, um, "I work for Lou Adler." And I went, "I know that name, Lou Adler. Lou, what has he done, Lou Adler?" And he proceeded to tell me he owns half of Los Angeles, and he yes. produced the Mamas and Papas and Cheech and Chong and Jan and Dean, and
4: you know uh-huh. is like the
9: major. Uh, record producer of, at the time, right. and I said, oh yeah, I knew I knew that name, and they said to me, uh, we're doing this play called the Rocky Horror Show, and we'd like for you to do it, and at that point in time, I really uh, hadn't got to the point where I'd go, well, let me read the script or see what this is or anything, it was like another job, mm-hmm. so okay, you take it, and and so I said, well, okay, that sounds fun, what do I do, and they go, well, you play two parts, and I, I, I did ask them, what do I do, they say, uh, you play this rock and roll guy who comes out of a Coca-Cola box. And I said, Oh, that sounds fun. And then they said, you also, yeah, it's a double role. You uh-huh. play his uncle. And I said, and I, I said, yeah, okay, cool. I didn't ask him what the thing was play was about or anything. And so then they said, well, we'd like for you to come out to LA. And I said, okay. And they said, when can you come? And I said, I'm packed. Let's go. Now. <laughs> and I literally, uh, uh, about two hours later, uh, right. was on the plane to LA. And, uh, and and uh, th- th- there's a side story to this. Um, Chevy Chase had broken up with his girl with his girlfriend, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and was actually living in in a Volkswagen, in a little Volkswagen Beetle. And a friend of mine, my- a friend of mine called right after that, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, I was talking to her, and I said, "Oh, I'm getting ready." She goes, "Oh, boy, you're back. You want to come down?" I said, "Oh, I'm going to L.A." And she goes well, you just got here. I said, I know, but I just got a phone <laughs> call to go to work. And that's how I worked in New right. York. I mean, I literally was never out of, that was never out of work in New York as an actor for longer than about at the time it took me to fly from uh, Washington. Not too many people to, can say that. No. And so, so at that point in time, she goes, well, how long you going to be in LA? And I said, I don't know. I didn't ask that. And they go, well, Chevy broke with his girlfriend. He's got no place to live. Can he? And I said, yeah, tell him he can live in my apartment. So I, for nine months, Chevy Chase lived in my apartment and ran
8: up an enormous phone bill. Well,
9: so he owes me. A he, owes me he owes me eleven hundred dollars. Yeah, he owes
8: me eleven hundred dollars. Well, sorry. I don't know about the meeting. Your, your initial meeting with Tim Curry. Oh well, that was funny. That that uh, well, it wasn't a meeting.
9: I'm sitting here. We've well, been rehearsing the the music, and uh, everything was fine. I mean, the song just you know it was a typical one of those kind of rock music. The words were a little quirkier, you know, mm-hmm. than than normal. But we hadn't heard any of Tim's songs. We'd only heard like "Hot Patootie and uh, and the songs, you know, uh, when Eddie said he had his Teddy and, and the you know whatever the songs were and, and you know there's a light and that kind of stuff, which was kind of you know a little quirkier, but it was it was, it was those. Right, right, right. I mean, I was doing a lot of those silly rock musicals that were going on off Broadway, or and the Kennedy Center had been one about uh, about Buddha. And so, and that's what I'd been, I'd played Buddha. Okay, I can see that. And so, uh, it was, uh, it was, it was weird. That <laughs> was kind of, I was doing all this avant-garde stuff right. and all this. So anyway, um, we'd been rehearsing about six days and they said tomorrow Tim Curry's coming in and okay, great. We knew he was the star. Mm-hmm. And when he came in, <laughs> he came in, we were running the show in song order and we hadn't heard any of his songs. Mm-hmm. And uh, so um, uh, they got to his song, and he came in. We were rehearsing this little theater, and he came in from the top of the theater, singing, "I'm a sweet transvestite, wearing uh, big platform shoes."
8: He had his outfit out on. Oh, he had his
9: with a mo Yeah, he had his outfit on with a motorcycle. This pack. is the initial meeting. Yeah, initial he, meeting. He on. had his out, and I freaked. I, I. I lost it. I mean, I really. I'm going. Uh. Uh-uh, uh. No. Oh. I like. I, I and I turned to another actor who, who was um, I'd done uh, two plays with already named Graham Jarvis, who's done all. Is a character actor, mm-hmm. and you see him in a lot of movies. And we looked at each other, and we just got up and walked out. I mean, we. Li- I literally just walked out. I said, I'm, I don't <laughs> know what I'm in. I, I'm going. This is L. A. This is weird. This. Is, I've always heard this place it was really weird, but this is really strange. Right. And we and then we left and and we decided that, uh, you know, well we better go back and check this out and tell them we can't do it, and so we went back to tell them that and and we got the sense that it it really wasn't about uh, about <laughs> about that it wasn't like pe- being in drag it was it, was, it, it took it us a while. the yeah, because all we had done so far was learn the music. Mm-hmm. And then we hadn't seen the script, and there was a reason, because they knew that this was probably, they probably had a lot of problems, going to have a problem casting this part if everybody knew that they, you know, had to dress up in right. fishnet stockings. But eventually I did, and it was, uh, I weighed, oh, geez, uh, 50, 60 pounds more than I do now. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wore a garter belt and fishnet stockings and a high heels, and came out from underneath this... Uh, this blanket that was in a wheelchair. And I'll tell you what, it it had to be the biggest laugh of any show you've ever seen in your life. They, the people would, and the cast, Tim Curry, and he's really a great actor. He'd laugh, uh, you know, two out of every four times. Uh-huh. Because the audience would just, it, it was the biggest laugh I've ever heard in my life.
1: Hell of a man, hell of a musician, Meatloaf. And we'll have part two of my interview with Meatloaf. It's coming up next. Speed Freaks Pits and the Lucas Oil Studios.
0: Speed Freaks, motorsports radio redefined.
3: General Tire, supporting the Freak Nation for two decades.
4: Transmissions are one of the most complicated and expensive components in your car or truck. Don't let leaks and low fluid make a bad situation even worse. Use Lucas Transmission Fix in your older car's transmission to stop slipping, hesitation, and rough shifting. Lucas Transmission Fix was specially formulated to make your automatic transmission perform like new, and it actually eliminates most leaks. It also works on light-duty manual transmissions to increase shifting ease and transmission life. Shift your problem to Lucas Transmission fix lucas oil it works now you can get generic viagra shipped to your door for about two dollars a pill get the same impact for less call steel man pills now and get the same blue pill for about two dollars a pill call now for the 50 pill special and save even more plus get a free bonus 800-993-1327
5: 800 993 1327 That's 800-993-1327. A Freak Nation, did you hear? With the
1: addition of MavTV Plus to the MavTV Motorsports Network, they've got their full live event broadcast schedule for 2021. A total of 226 live race broadcasts featuring the Arca Menard Series, the Lucas Oil 8 Model Dirt Series, Pro Pulling League, American Sprint Car Series, Pro Motocross, and the Lucas Oil Chili Bowl Nationals. Mav TV, the only television network dedicated to motorsports. Go to MavTV.com to get your motorsports fix 24-7-365. <laughs>
3: Hey, Freak Nation, if the grind, whine, and squeal of your vehicle's power steering makes you cringe every time you reach for the wheel, then grab Lucas Power Steering Stop Leak. That's Lucas's unique formula that fixes most worn rack and pinions, pumps, and gearboxes, making them perform like new. Using Lucas Power Steering Stop Leak, you'll find it eliminates squeals, seal leaks, and rough spots. And get this, it's 100% guaranteed. So there's no reason to use anything but Lucas Power Steering Stop Leak. Lucas Oil, it works.
1: What up? It's Kenny Sargent, and have you checked out Speed Freaks' website lately? It's speedfreaks.tv, and it's where you go to download all of our radio shows and our featured podcasts. Plus, it's where you can register for a new set of rubbers from General Tire. Go to speedfreaks.tv, hit the General Tire giveaway banner, fill in all the needed information, and bam! You might get a call from the freaks about rolling on a brand new set of General Tires. Leave the road and take the trails on a new set of General Tires and our website at speedfreaks.tv.
0: You're listening to Speed Freaks. Motorsports Radio. Redefine.
5: And all I can do is keep on...
1: Back with the freaks in the Lucas Oil Studios, we continue on with our part two interview with Meatloaf, died earlier this week at seventy-four years old, and with Bat Out of Hell," the first record back
8: in the late seventies. It was Jim Steinman who teamed up with Meatloaf. For those once again who, are not, who aren't familiar with Jim Steinman, what has he meant to you, singing lies for your? For oh his? well, the
9: first time that the first song that ever—I uh, mean, people always told me when I started to sing, "Oh, you can, you can sing." Mm-hmm. Um, but I never had a song uh, when I did the first Jim Steinman song uh, I never sang a song that reacted that way and I've had I I sang what I thought was some pretty good songs I mean I didn't know then I obviously hadn't but I thought mm-hmm. I had and I'd done you know in all the the musicals I was doing I always had a, a featured number and people would always go oh that was great but when I did the the Jim Steinman piece and we were doing I was doing it for Joe Papp stopped the show and uh and then when we moved it into, uh, we moved it to a bigger theater. Uh, it was the only time in history that I've ever been in the theater, and I've seen a lot of plays and musicals, where in the middle of the first act we did this song, and the audience actually screamed for more. Did you have more? We they had to write it into the play. They wrote it into the play that I I, wow. I sang the, the last chorus over again, uh, and it, it was very strange because they would. When we first started doing it, they wouldn't stop applauding, and and uh, we just stood there. We stood there. For, I remember standing there the first time I did it for the longest time. And and uh, Fred Gwynn was in this play, and Ron Silver and Mary Beth Hurt, and and a lot of uh, Steve Collins and okay. a lot of uh, people that American uh, and a lot of these they'll know you know uh, Ron Silver and oh, yeah. people. Um, but we just all stood there. We were all just standing there like, what do we do now? And they, and they didn't stop. And eventually, uh, Michael Weller, who was the playwright, wrote mm-hmm. it in that we were all soldiers and the soldiers came up to me and did this whole thing. And, and then the music started again and they started to hum and we, we did it again. It was all, it was written in. And that's I've your never, thing, huh? never, never seen. So I knew at that point that, oh, wait a minute. I'm singing the same way I always sang but this 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 I'm connecting with these this material because nobody else in the show and there was great singers in the show it didn't didn't happen with anybody else and there was mm-hmm. other songs that that I actually thought were better in the show right. but it still didn't happen so there was a connection there and so then I I proceeded to really Jimmy's not aggressive Jimmy is 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 very is passive when it comes to um uh, work and he's very, la- he labors and he's mm-hmm. very slow and, and he, he, he's a little more, he's a, he goes in, he's, he goes out a little more now than he used to, but I mean, he, you know, aggressive as far as uh, the work is concerned. But back then he wouldn't do anything. So it's like I really pushed him and pushed right. him and pushed him and pulled him and pulled him and made him right and, and uh, got some people to, to help me and eventually, we got to where I got him in a routine. If we were, we would work every day, and I stopped doing theater, and uh, I rehearsed with Jimmy every day, almost every day, maybe not on football days, but uh, on Bat Out of Hell, you rehearsed. Yeah, every day for a year, we were. But not just singing that; every kind of song you can possibly mm-hmm. imagine, from operas to Eagles to to kiss songs. I mean, right on. just anything. It was like um being a cover band in a in a rehearsal room, mm-hmm. we, it was just a little room, not much sizer than that that box there with a piano <laughs> in it, and it was called Nola Studios. And we went there every day, and uh, they had a little four track machine upstairs. And mm-hmm. every once in a while, we'd go upstairs and record things, and uh, oh, we did. Oh, we did Tom Waits, Jimmy Webb. Jeez. Every, every well, I, must learned, I must have learned. I must have learned, 150 songs, and in that process. We learned a lot, you know. I learned a lot, and so then he started writing the, the stuff that that fit in, and then when when we tried to do better to help people, kept going. You're great, but I mean, I, the reaction was like, you're phenomenal, but what is this? What is this material? Why are you doing these songs? Mm-hmm. I'm going. These songs are brilliant, and they go, no, this is they're not. Nobody's going to understand these songs. I said, you're wrong, and in 1975, we sold out Carnegie Hall this was two years before bad ever came out almost three years and and the record company would come and 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 they would they would think they're all our friends and we didn't know anybody. I mean I knew few act I mean I knew my actor friends, mm-hmm. but Jimmy and I had been together so long that I didn't really have a social life. we rehearsed all every day and then I went home and like did nothing and so uh, uh, the record company, they they thought I don't. We planted these people or something because the reaction every time we did anything, and we worked a lot. And WNEW in New York would find out we were playing and and say things like, hey, "If you guys get a chance, you should go see this guy. Mm-hmm. You should see what they're doing." And uh, took forever to get that to get a deal. I mean, we were rejected by everybody four times. I was going to ask you that. Didn't record record labels just see you? Oh yeah. See you, oh yeah. Just
8: pass on you. Oh
9: well, yeah. And bad and Hell actually went through seven labels. I mean, we were actually signed to seven labels, seven uh, seven labels actually on the dotted line. Well, just, except for Warner Brothers. You Just don't hear that.
8: You just don't except hear that. Except for seven.
9: except for Warner Brothers. We were going to Warner Brothers, right. and it we actually never signed the contract. The contract was there. That would have made the sixth, and the seventh would have would have been uh, uh, CBS. But CBS, the person who eventually signed it had already turned it down four times. Right. And the only reason it, at that, I think it was destined to come out, obviously, but. Why it came out at that point in time and why they signed it is because uh, uh, Bruce Springsteen's guitar player, Miami Steve Van Zandt, owed somebody a favor, and he went and told this guy that uh, the beginning I took the words right out of my mouth was the best ten seconds of rock and roll in history. Here you go, Steve. Here's it. Here's it. A... Yeah, that's basically what it is, and and uh, I'm the only person that still calls him Miami. I saw everybody else calls him It's <laughs> Little Steven. Little Steven, yeah. And everybody and yeah. a, a, everybody else calls him Little Steven, and I saw him, you know, like.
8: Two weeks ago, Miami. Miami. He goes, "You're the only person that calls me." That.
9: <laughs> I go, "Well, I don't know
8: you by anything else, you know." So, thirty million plus later. Yeah, right? I think it's right? more
9: than. I, yeah, I think it's more than that, but I don't know how many more than that. They won't tell us. That's we get for we, reading the uh, stats. We uh, no, no. You're right, though. That's what they print between twenty-five mm-hmm. and thirty million. Right, goodness. But I don't think they've accounted for everything. <laughs> well, In fact, true, I know they too. haven't.
8: Yeah, that, that wallet may speak for it, but. I, I I don't like to talk about downtime, but there were 15 years there, man. Between well, it wasn't where I work all. Well, the time. Okay. I mean, there was a period. There of time were some albums that came four, out. Yeah.
9: Three or four years where I didn't work because I didn't I didn't like being famous, so I didn't want to work.
8: That was tough for you, wasn't it?
9: Yeah, I don't like it. It's not my. I mean, I've learned to deal with it, but and it, it's just not my thing. You know, it's like uh, they today they you know they have us riding around in, in Tokyo in this limousine. And I'll be just as happy in a van taxi. Yeah, well, not a taxi, a van, because the taxis you got to go out and wait for them. In New York, we ride in taxis, but right. when you got to get to somewhere, you know, you never, you know, a taxi's never there when you need one. Right. It's like the policeman, never there when you need one. <laughs> so if I'd have been coming here today in a taxi, we wouldn't have been here on time.
8: Yeah. So, um,
9: but, um,
8: but there, there a, you know. Oh yeah, I mean wasn't the, yeah. Doubt, you know,
9: but that's the, I mean, that's this business. That's the doubt. nature of this business. You know that, right? You know, you, 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 yeah. if you have. Great times and bad times. Yeah, you do. Anybody, but that's life. Plumbers have good days and bad days. Right. You know, doctors good days and bad days. Uh, he does.
8: The guy running the camera, he has good
9: days and bad, bad days. days. Money, yeah. money
8: just can't buy you happiness. You know, no, you no, know. it
9: doesn't. So you know, I have a um, I have a great wife and two great kids, and, and that 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 make that when you that's hap, when you see your daughter. You know you, you you go to the high school or you go to the you know the middle school and mm-hmm. and and I went to see my oldest daughter um, have the lead in a, a play and um, I went there and I'm going okay it's a high school play and 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 she she came out and she she's she sang and she did this Locking thing in. and I'm going she's incredible and then I started to go no she's only incredible because she's my daughter mm-hmm. you know but then I kept watching I'm going no. She's. This is a high school play, and she's. She's not in a high school play. She's in a. I said I've seen. Uh, I've seen people on Broadway that aren't this good, you know. And a few days later, I would see Guys and Dolls, and the oh. girl, and one of the girl in Broadway that was getting paid two thousand dollars a week was not as good as yeah. my daughter. And, I, and so it was like, you know, that's that's what makes you happy life, when you see, it? and you, you know, and when you see them uh, succeed, and and that's the great times. You know, I mean, it's really, it's, it's great when you know. I mean, it's like this record, Bad Than Hell, too. Uh, I've had enough. Uh, the single's been number one in like 19 mm-hmm. countries now, which is like right. absurd. Uh, you know, it's like I, I, I feel like Michael Jackson, although not quite. And I said, it's pretty weird that you're, um, you're, you know, you have a single that that goes number one in 19 countries. I never. Expected that, and Battle of Hell never did anything like that. Mm-hmm. It has just, it at one time uh, was the biggest album in the world, but it was, it never had a a big single off of it. It had um, a lot of singles that were hovering around right. top ten and different places. The only time in in Australia we had a number one, and I think in Canada, but but nothing like this. And so it was. Um, we're talking about I
8: do anything. for... I do anything for love, uh, but I
9: won't do that. Right, and uh, it's still it's still doing things. I mean, it's it's fixing to be number one in France. They're they're slow. You so look was, at Billboard, and you see you're on all these charts, man. Yeah, everywhere. All these charts. Everywhere, and it's pretty it's pretty interesting. So what you do on that? Obviously, you're gonna become famous. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you can't help it. Uh, you have to deal with it. I mean, I actually went to a psychologist for over a year just uh, for having a. Uh, to deal with uh, mm-hmm. being being famous and, and 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 he used to go in and, and he used to say to me um if I say the word star to you how do you feel and I go I hate it and he, and he go okay so then we talked to him and, and the last time I saw him he he did his opening thing how, if I say the word star to you I said well you know I mean maybe I can deal with it and he goes okay well then'll I'll see you like in a year I mean that was kind of it. it progressed yeah I mean it was that that was as far as it went you know God. but I I, I kind of lost it but but I've learned to like just ground myself and 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 deal with it but what I've also I kind of analyzed things and I and and instead of taking it how you can take that and go to the extreme the other way I've kind of gone the other way of, of saying that when you have a number one single, or uh, a big rec- it's it's a privilege mm-hmm. and it's an honor and not many people really understand that I mean if you get uh, some people expect it some people get mad if they're you know they go well what, why aren't I number one you know I'm not I don't I'm not gonna I'm, I'm hey wow great thank you very much but because when that happens yeah uh, people are letting you into their lives mm-hmm. and you you become part of their life and. Uh, that's a privilege. It's like going to dinner at somebody's house. They invite you to their house for dinner. You you want to be on your best behavior. And, you and unless, you. you know, it's, unless it's like some guy giving you a can of wolf Brand <laughs> chili from Texas, then you don't care. But I'm saying, you know, if you get invited over to your boss's house or you get invited to a oh, friend's yeah. house for a, a formal dinner, you know, you want to be on your best behavior. So that's how I feel about this right. thing. And I, I feel that, so I take it the other way as it being a privilege to do what I do as opposed to uh, having it, uh, expecting it. And I don't expect that when I go to do a live show mm-hmm. that I never say to myself, oh, they're here to see me. I always say, oh, I'm here to perform for them because uh, bands tend to think that the audience is there to see them. and I, I, don't, I, don't ever get, I don't ever take it that way. I'm
8: always there for them. Hey, look who's footing, footing the bill. Yeah, yeah, you know, they, that's my boss. So why not? That's that's who I work yeah. for. They're paying me. Once again, the theatrics are there. The, the serious performance side is there. But your lyrics, again, are they're kind of funny and, and thought provoked Well, they, you, they you are. Mean, yeah, they no they are life was a lemon and I want, want my want money back.
9: Yeah, you understand life is a lemon. I want yeah. my money back. Yeah, uh, people. I've given uh, a couple. Yeah, that's outside of America. People, I, I thought everybody in the world knew that mm-hmm. if you got a new car and it was no good, it was called a lemon. But they don't know that. Hmm. Um. So I've had to explain that a little bit, but it is. They're, they're, they're funny, but, but they also, uh, kind of uh, play with your emotion a bit. They, they, they're emotionally and what they are. They're, they're charged. Jimmy's very clever. Uh, and, and you have to, you can't hear this record one time. You can't and understand it. And if you do, you'll, you throw it away and go, well, what is this? Mm-hmm. I mean, and that, and people tend to do that. A lot of people, but once you understand that all the music is about you, mm-hmm. and it is—it's about the listener. It's not about if you hear Billy Joel. Billy Joel's a friend of mine, and I love his music. But but his all his records are about Billy Joel's life. You go along right. for the ride with Billy Joel's life, and you can you can you can relate to some of the, uh, his feelings and his emotions. You can relate to them, mm-hmm. but you always Billy's always there. But with these records. I'll never exist inside of them. Well, you, you play characters. Yeah, but, I, right? but even the characters don't exist. See, I do I do the characters to, to do the stories because I don't ever want to pro- project myself into mm-hmm. it. And so the difference is is that I'll, the reason that I never project myself into it and is that I, I make up people to project is so that I don't become part of it. In the song Paradise by the Dashboard Light Right. Which is off a bat of the hell, you never see me in the car. You always see yourself with somebody else in the car. If you're a girl, you see the guy. If you're a guy, you see the girl. I'm never included mm-hmm. in, in your side of the story.
1: Well, Brig Nation, from meatloaf to baby back rib, stat man, and yours truly, what'd I say, New York Strip or what'd I say, T Bone? What was I? Rib-eye. Ribeye. Ribeye. Ribeye Sergeant, shoot the juice to the moose and. Maybe back? <laughs>
2: Cut it loose. Zip!
9: It'll all turn to
0: dust And we'll all fall down Sooner or later You'll be screwing around I won't do that No, I won't do that Anything from love oh, Who do I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. No, I won't do that. Speed Freaks, Motorsports Radio, redefined.